What's up? Hey, boo boo, what up? <laughs> How are you? Oh God, I am amazing. <laughs> Good. You look like you had an exciting week. Okay, so we went shopping, right? And it was heavenly. <laughs> or you? Or you mean like the our trip? Yeah, like the sandboarding. Okay, yeah. So if uh, any of my higher ups may happen to hear this, we did not sneak off to a different country for three days. <laughs> <laughs> But we had a, a three-day pass, and you're like allowed to go within a certain limit. But we said screw it, and just went all the way out there to Doha, and it was a good idea. It was really fun. It looked incredible. The water was perfect. The food was popping. The one thing I did hate was, so we took these like, <laughs> like sand rovers out there, and they didn't tell mm-hmm. us that part of the trip was like doing these crazy like sand dune rides where they like drop up the hills and then back down do like a bunch of like it was crazy they, they did a bunch of tricks with the cars with the inside of it and uh, i had just yeah i had just ate a bunch of like crab legs beforehand and i was oh like, no <laughs> i would have a little warning on like the trip ticket says oh hey we will be trying to murder you with these cars oh man Yes. But how were the crab legs, though? Bomb. Like, they were, they were for no reason. <laughs> oh, my God. That sounds amazing. And then yesterday, uh, we had just... We went to the mall. The festival mall is called. And uh, we went shopping. And I felt so normal for once. And, like, the mall there is crazy. So you go there and <laughs> you see, like, the women. Because it's a Muslim country. So, you know, they, they wear the full... Uh, it's called a burger, right? Hijab. Hijab, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they'll still, like... Is the malls are very western so there's like a victoria's secret mm-hmm. you see them in there like coming out with like all the lingerie and stuff or like buying pumps i'm like you know what you better work like you better do that <laughs> <laughs> yes i love it <laughs> like you see they had like a full like nutella shop and oh. a nutella shop just nothing but like just nutella cuisine Oh my god. And I've been out here, I've been doing I've been getting fit, been doing my sit-ups and stuff, so I think I can't God's trying me right now. Like he don't want me to be perfect. <laughs> With the Nutella. <laughs> yeah, my one weakness. <laughs> Beautiful. That and like Starbucks. Well I'm happy you are enjoying yourself. We haven't said who we are yet. I am Andre Matthews. I'm Angeline Galloway. And we are here to give you stories of people of color that don't get told enough. And uh, who went first last time? I feel like I did, but I could be wrong. Mm, I think I, you. I don't know. Yeah, I think you did go first last time. So I'll go first this time. Content warning. This involves a... 
this involves a child's death. So, gold star, content warning, <laughs> just settle in because this is going to make you angry. Because it made me angry. Because guess what? The police are fucking up again. Oh, you don't say. Tell as old as time. <laughs> truly, truly. So, now, this is a story about Ayana Monet Stanley Jones. Uh, she was born July 20th of 02 and was killed by police May 16th, 2010. She was a seven-year-old African-American girl from the east side of Detroit who was shot and killed during a raid when the police raided the wrong building, we'll get there, conducted by the Detroit Police Department. And her death actually drew a U.S. representative, John Connors, to ask the, at the time, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder to investigate because it was <laughs> so blatantly a misstep by police that everyone just was just up in arms. Which doesn't happen often enough, but when we get into what happened, you'll see why. So, uh, I'll give you the context to it before we get into, like, what actually happened. Okay. So, on uh, May 14th, 2010, uh, a Southern Eastern High School senior, I'm going to mess up his name, it's a weird one. Not weird, it has, like, weird apostrophes all in it. (laughs) Yeah. J. Renee Blake was shot and killed near the intersection of Mac and Bonnet Street in uh, Detroit. By the end of the day, police had identified the suspect, Clancy Owens, and got a warrant to raid his house. But they raided the wrong house, thinking that it was his. So they had a suspect, you know, presumed dangerous with a deadly weapon who just committed a murder, and they went to go raid his house. Mm-hmm. Now, according to press reports, Police were on the scene at 12.40 a.m. on Sunday, May 16, 2010, in an attempt to distract the occupants, police fired a flashbang grenade into the front window. Now, flashbangs, they are, they can still be deadly or lethal, especially depending on, like, your location to it. Like, if you're closer yeah. to it, it can still really mess you up. And also, it can still catch things on fire. Officer Joseph Weekly claimed that the flash grenade blinded his view of the person on the couch in the living room. So he threw it in, breached the door, and then he said that he couldn't tell who was laying down when he started firing randomly. Police officers, mm-hmm. bystanders, and the residents of the home disagree with that event, though. They say that it didn't happen. But according to Joseph Weekly, uh, he went through the door first. He pushed his way inside, protected by a bl- by a like a ballistic shield, you no know, riot shield. He mm-hmm. claimed that uh, Ayanna Jones's paternal grandmother attempted to slap his submachine gun, causing it to fire. So he's saying that he ran in. Right. She immediately smacked the gun, and the round went off and struck Ayanna in the head and killed her. Wakely stated that a woman inside grabbed my gun. It fired and the bullet hit the child. <sighs> Grandmom says, no, no, no. It did not happen. Uh, well, she's, well, before that, she got arrested and was held overnight and then she got released. She says she had actually reached for her granddaughter when the grenade came through the window, not the officer's gun, which makes sense. Yeah. A grenade just fired in your home. Why would your first reaction be, I'm going to go charge the officer? No, she's going to try to protect her seven-year-old granddaughter who's on the couch so grenade yeah he said the grenade came in 
went off, she reached for her granddaughter because the grenade had set her granddaughter on fire. Ugh. She said she had made no contact with him, and the family's attorney also said the police fired the shot. Like, the police started firing immediately as soon as they opened the door. They said as soon as they kicked in, the police started firing and killed the girl. After the shot was fired, Officer Joseph Weekly reported to his sergeant that a woman inside grabbed him and his gun, which is why they arrested the grandmom and administered like a drug test on her to see if she was like on drugs. It also administered a mm-hmm. gunpowder test on her hands because if she would have grabbed a gun, there would be residue on her hands. Right. It turns out there was no residue on her hands, so she couldn't have grabbed a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, of course. Shocking. 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 <laughs> Again, repeated the whole time while she was locked up and to cops there that she reached for her granddaughter and not the gun. So during the trial and retrial, his attorneys, after the whole thing was done, disclosed that there were no fingerprints ever found on his rifle from the grandmother. So <laughs> more evidence saying that he was just like full of crap. Yeah. The police officer responsible for the shooting is a member of the Troy SWAT team and his name again is Joseph Brian Weekly. Mm-hmm. He was frequently a subject of the A&E show, The First 48. I'm pretty sure a lot of people oh. like love that show. It's a good show, I think. Yeah, I think I've seen that one. Yeah, so he was, it's when people go missing. Yeah, they got the whole 48 shit bang to find them. Right. And he was a frequent member on that show because I, I guess they film in Detroit a lot. Uh, hmm. Now, Clancy Owens, who was the boyfriend of Ayana's aunt, was found in the upper floor of a duplex in a different... Like, the guy who did the shooting that they were looking for was in a different home. Like, that was next door, upstairs, and completely fine. And they found him after that without incident. Ugh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So they wandered into the wrong house. Flashbang, they set up on fire shot a kid and the guy that up a flashbang oh my god and they, they would just like check the it's a duplex so the numbers are on outside the building and they would just like check the number they would have said oh we're supposed to be at uh 45 like Lilithbrook Lilith, Lilith I think it was called and we're at fucking 44 if we shouldn't <laughs> throw a grenade through this window yeah you're not gonna double check those house numbers before you just pull a throw like what? You know, I guess, I guess not. And I'll, okay. So, <laughs> in my line of work, we do breaching a lot. When yeah. You, when you breach a building, you do it slowly and deliberately because smooth is fast and smooth is safe. So, when you come up to a building before you throw a grenade into the window, you're coming up slowly. So there, there should have been more than enough time for them to double check and make sure that this is the right building we're going into. Yeah. Ugh. Okay, well, I mean, um... So about the aftermath. Tell as old as time. <laughs> but we, expe- we expect nothing less. <laughs> so, after a, uh, a year-long internal and federal investigation... On October 4th, 2011, a grand jury indicted Officer Joseph Weekly on involuntary manslaughter and reckless endangerment with a gun. He admitted in his first trial that, quote, it's my gun that shot and killed a seven-year-old girl. His uh, trial was scheduled for October and finally took place in June 2013, but resulted in a deadlocked jury 
don't know how, don't know fucking why, but it was a deadlocked jury. <laughs> so, half the jury thought that he was innocent of involuntary manslaughter. Again, I, I don't I don't know how. A fresh trial was scheduled for December 2013, but actually began almost a year later in September 2014. So, it's just dragging and dragging and dragging out. Allison Howard, a videographer and photographer for A&E, who was also present at the raid because they were filming portions of it, was indicted on obstruction of justice and it's called pre-jury. I don't know exactly what that means for mm-hmm. allegedly copying, showing and giving video footage that she shot of the raid to third parties. So when they were filming part of this, there was an agreement to give all that footage up to investigators and not keep any of it she copied half of it and like just gave it away to someone else they don't know who or why i'm assuming for money honestly a federal prosecutor said that howard had provided false testimony to investigators also about the shooting and that wickley's actions were reckless and she had lied to police in an effort to blame jones's family for her own, for her death so she tried blaming the child's family for her dying and being shot in the head by a cop. In a June 2013, Howard pled no contest to obstruction of justice and charges against her were actually dismissed. And she was, but no, they were dismissed, but she was sentenced to two years of probation and got a fine of $2,000. So, I mean, that's a little something because screw her. <laughs> yeah. She's trash. So, uh, Wakely's first trial ended in a mistrial, Mm -hmm. and uh, the Wayne County Circuit Judge Cynthia Gray Hathaway uh, presided over that case, and people, of course, were pissed at her and the jury. But, I mean, she's a judge. She should (laughs) really just put the hammer down. Yeah. Ayani's case would be the longest presiding case that Hathaway had in more than 20 years of being on the bench, and... It was, it's not, it's not an easy case. The retrial, Wakely's retrial started in September 2014, and he was once again charged with involuntary manslaughter and negligent firing of a weapon causing death. On the second day of the trial, September 24th, uh, Crystal Sanders, who lived on the upper floor of the house where Ayana was killed, testified. Said Ayana's paternal aunt, well, she was Ayana's paternal aunt, and the girlfriend of the man who did the shooting that police were actually looking for, who was in the other building. Mm-hmm. And she's also the daughter of the grandmother who was arrested for reportedly smacking the gun out of the officer's hand. So while the Crystal Sanders was on the stand, Judge Cynthia Hathaway told her that she was being disrespectful. Ugh. Ayana's either. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sorry. So. While LaCrista Sanders was on the stand, the judge, Judge Hathaway, told her that she was being disrespectful. Ayana's mother, Dominique Stanley, and her paternal grandmother testified both, saying that the emotional outbursts and everything were just because, you know, their kid is dead and they want justice. They're not trying to be disrespectful. Yeah. The family is just emotional. Of course. Uh, Their grandmother's one of many outbursts the judge ordered the jury out of the room and the grandmother was escorted from the courtroom screaming as the grandmother's out because of because of the grandmother's outbursts the judge stopped the trial until september 29th 
which is obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Least. And I feel like uh, the court's asking a lot for people to just stay completely calm and like unemotional while they're going through these very traumatic events. Like no normal person's going to walk into a courtroom and be able to control themselves. Styles. Yeah. Especially yeah. 7-year-old is dead. Yeah. It's very traumatic. That's right. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like, I think you would have a little more compassion as a judge to be like, okay, I understand why you're upset. Like, get it out, sis. Cry it out. Let's move on. Yeah. Like, let's resume. That's so stupid. So, on September 29th, Wigley's lawyer asked the judge for a mistrial, citing that the grandmother's conduct on stand, but citing the grandmother's conduct on stand the week before. So, he said, hey, yeah, she has some outbursts. So, let's just have it a mistrial. Uh, the judge denied the motion for a mistrial, saying she believed the jury could still be impartial. However, the judge also said that the grandmother and other relatives continued to have, if they continue to have outbursts on the sand, then she would declare a mistrial. Yeah. So on October 3rd, the judge dismissed the involuntary uh, manslaughter charge against Wakeley. On October 10th, the judge declared a mistrial due to a jury deadlock and on January 28th 2015 a court prosecutor Kim Worthy dismissed the last remaining charge against Wakeley uh, the misdemeanor of careless discharge of a firing weapon causing death and Wakeley will not go on a third trial <sighs> coming from the jury, uh, the jury the jury claimed that race did not affect the decision of the verdict at all they, they went to I'm so sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really, I'm so sure it wasn't. Yeah. So once again, it seems very plausible. (laughs) Yeah. So TLDR cops raided the building, shot an innocent girl in the head, and got off with it. (laughs) I was, I was about to say, this is America. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Oh well. I like wasn't feeling angry today, but here we are. Like, how, how quickly the tides change. It's like at a point you're just kinda at a loss for words. It's like all the evidence, everything is right there in front of your face. This should this guy, maybe he didn't do it on purpose. Well he probably I don't think he did it on purpose, because who wants to shoot a kid on purpose? But he fucked up at his job and got someone killed and needs to be held responsible. Yeah. Like, I would think manslaughter, at least. Like, yeah. someone's dead because of you. Or at the and you just... A negligence with a, with a weapon. Yeah. Being negligent. And you just get off and don't get held responsible at all. Ugh. That is disgusting. Well, I am just thoroughly upset now. <laughs> so I think collectively, we're probably going to need a little pollock cleanser. So, let's just hit our break. Why these people are tripping so low? Hey, what you going to 
first, like it's soon, oh Talking about you, I ain't talking about me, oh. People I know that I held so close only hit me up for tree now. Looking back, mistakes have paved the way. Y'all can see now. Life got cold, but I keep on getting cold from zero degrees now. And I don't know, cause these people in my head been feeling too low. People talk, but I'm living life just going where the wind blows. I've been down, but looking around to see the world is too. Bitch, what's the point of saving myself if I can't keep you? Looking back, and I make it out? That bit I was in was too bad Time keeps moving, people keep changing I just want my crow back And why these people tripping so low? Ayy, what you going to reverse like it's soon, oh Talking about you, ain't talking about me, oh People I know that I held so close Only hit me up for tree, now Looking back, mistakes have paved the way Y'all can see, now Life got cold, but I keep on getting cold From zero degrees, now And we're back So, what, what do you have for us this time? Okay, so um, this is a story that I've been following over the last month or two, um, and it won't be as lengthy as some of my other ones just because it's developing, um, but I still wanted to bring attention to it, especially if there's any listeners from Texas. So in February, my mama, Alabama, my dad, Louisiana, you mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama. That was so offbeat, but you get the gist. Beyonce is ashamed. I just, if Beyonce, if Beyonce's listening, I just want you to know I'm doing my best. We can't all be you. Yeah. You can't hit an eight count in like a G flat like that. It's just not who I am. It's not where I'm at, Beyonce. I'm the Michelle. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. I'm the Kelly Rowland of the group. <laughs> Anyways, in February, Andrine McDonald, 29, was reported missing after she failed to show up for work at the assisted living facility that she owns in Bexar County, Texas. Shortly afterward, her husband, Andre McDonald, was arrested on evidence tampering charges. That's my name. (laughs) So um, investigators executed a search warrant on their home where they found several, um, quote, disturbing items, including a shovel, an axe, work gloves and gasoline. Investigators believed that Andrian's husband may have planned on using these tools to dispose of her body. So Sheriff Salivar of the Bexar County Sheriff's Department said they believe Andrian McDonald is no longer living and that the couple's six-year-old daughter who is autistic and mostly nonverbal, may have witnessed the crime. Andre McDonald is the main suspect in the disappearance, and evidence tampering charges stem from the fact that he tore up the receipts for the items found in the couple's home. And an affidavit by the Bexar County Sheriff's Office included interviews with two witnesses who went to her home that Friday when she didn't show up for work. Jerry Garcia, a sheriff's spokesman, told the paper that the witnesses referred to in the affidavit are very close friends of Andrine. And the document said that the two women entered the home through an unlocked door when no one answered and found blood and hair on a light switch. At the first witness said that the missing person told her many times that if she ever went missing, it was because the suspect killed her. So basically, this woman said, if I ever disappear, it's because my husband killed me. Um, That's, that's <laughs> if you have to state that, it says a lot. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, 
So the women said they also saw what appeared to be a fire on the ground in the backyard and a zipper in the fire from someone's closing. And one of the women left to pick up Andrine McDonald's mother. And when she returned, they saw Andre McDonald leaving the house and called the police. So when deputies responded, they reportedly talked to Andre McDonald, who at first told them that his wife was being treated at a hospital. Investigators called the hospital he referenced, but found that she wasn't a patient there. McDonald then told deputies he didn't know where his wife was and said they had gotten to a fight the night before. The investigators claimed that McDonald did not seem at all concerned with his wife's whereabouts and that he told the detective he didn't want to talk to him and immediately asked for an attorney. So basically this guy seems guilty as fuck. Um, The deputy saw what he believed was blood in the master bedroom. And on Saturday, March 2nd, investigators executed a search warrant at the home and found more blood in a car and confirmed that the blood was human. And again, they found that he purchased a shovel, an axe and a hatchet, a heavy-duty plastic garbage bags, gloves, and gas cans. They also found the fire pit that had recently been used to destroy papers and other items. Um, They found coveralls, a claw hammer... A shovel, axe, hatchet, and garbage bags in a car, and the newly purchased shovel—sorry, the newly purchased shovel—had dirt on it and appeared to have been recently used. So, Andre McDonald was taken into custody for ever, or sorry, evidence tampering for tearing up the receipts of the purchased items. He was released from jail on April 8th, and after posting his $300,000 bond, McDonald's lawyer explained that the man is subject to jurisdiction by both civilian and military authorities. So basically, he's going to be tried by both the military and civilian court because he's in the military. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So a spokesman for the sheriff's office um, said McDonald will be fitted with an ankle monitor and turned over to the military just as a procedural release. Um, Okay, so this is where the story gets even more fucked up. (laughs) On April 4th, yeah, (laughs) on April 4th, a hitchhiker discovered charred remains in West Bexar County that were suspected to be Andrine McDonald because, as we said, you know, there was that fire pit in the back of the couple's house. Um, And the sheriff's department was cautiously optimistic that the body would be Andrine McDonald. And at the time, the skeletal remains were so badly charred that the police couldn't identify whether they belonged to a man or a woman. Um, But it was later determined that it belonged to a different woman because she stood about 5'3", the burned body, and Andrine was 5'11". And they can't tell the race and build of the second body, but... Um, law enforcement agencies are now asking for any other person looking for someone with a similar stature to contact them. Um, the sheriff's department also announced that they will be expanding the department's homicide division to deal with the increasing workload. So now they have one body they can't find, another body they can't identify. Jesus Christ. And you know, lots going on in Bexar County, Texas. Uh, private investigator Dottie Laster stated that there's still an amazing drive of people who keep moving us forward, who keep holding the family up, who keep supporting their wish and absolute desire to know what happened. Whoever is sitting there on this information is nothing more than a child, a ridiculous, irresponsible child. And they need to let this family and her friends and the entire community take a sigh of relief. Um, and Laster said she wants nothing more than for someone with some kind of information to come forward immediately 
So, as we said, Andre McDonald is currently under full house arrest and is due back in court on April 24th for pre-indictment appearance. And I looked around, but I haven't been able to find any updates regarding that appearance, so I'm not exactly sure if there's been any new developments since then. Uh, Sheriff Javier Salazar said, sorry, Salazar said, while we remain resolute to continue the search for Andrine and to find closure for her family, we now have another family and we need to identify this victim. So again, one body so, like, is you know, missing. Saying that their hands are kind of full. I'm sorry, say it again. So like they're basically saying that their hands are like kind of full. Yeah, they're like, okay, we can't find this woman's body and now we have another woman we need to identify. Yeah, it's a lot going on at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this story is like really pulled me in. Um... And I hope that the husband will start talking or that they'll find answers soon. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the story, they have an autistic, nonverbal six-year-old who they believed may have witnessed what happened and just can't communicate it. Um, And I'm just so heartbroken for her. And I think cases like this are always difficult because it's bad enough that the mom's gone. You're sitting there like, okay, now what's going to happen to this little girl? There's this really vicious custody battle going on between her grandparents. Um... And then it's just this downward spiral of thoughts because it's like, what if this, her husband regains custody and then you kind of have this potential Josh Powell situation on your hands, which I'm sure if you're into true crime, you know, you've heard of that case. There's a whole I don't know. can of worms. It's a whole nother can of worms and it's just heartbreaking all around. But as I said before, anyone with information can contact the Bexar Sheriff's um, office and their phone number is 210-335-6070. But that is the developing disappearance of Andrean McDonald. And I'll keep an eye on this one and do an update if and when more information is available. But I've just been watching this like a hawk. Yeah. And like... Just because not only is this woman now missing, but they have this other body on their hands that they're like, yeah, also burned. We don't know what's going on. So you got, you got any theories running along in your head? <sighs> I don't know. Like, I, obviously, it seems like the two cases are unrelated. It was just so bizarre to think that they found this fire pit in the back of his, like, in the back of their house. And we're like, okay, obviously, he tried to burn her body to get rid of it. And then find this other burned body that's not her. Yeah. Like... It's just so strange that you then stumble onto this entire other case. I don't know. I hope they'll solve both of them. I've, it's for some reason has just been weighing so heavily on me that they don't know what happened with either of these people. Well, yeah, I mean, keep a tab on that. because I'm intrigued. I know I'm in cases like this are so frustrating because you want like a clean resolution or some kind of ending to the story and it's just left so open and then like the more you and i think that's why he can't yeah i like i just can't stop thinking about it and anyways the uh, daughter again you said so the daughter's six years old and andreen was 29 years old and she's autistic right like, she's autistic and I was reading a little bit about the custody battle between the two grandparents, and um, the grandfather mentioned that she's been saying stuff about wanting to kill herself, which, okay. so she must talk a little bit, but I was just like, oh, oh no. So she saw something. Yeah. I mean, you need a lot, of, a lot of, like, specialized therapy to make sure, A, she's okay, and B, say anything that she needs to say. Yeah. It's going to be really it's gonna be a real like egg to crack 
Because it's delicate. Yeah. That'd be delicate. Yeah, I don't know. I just like feel so much for this little girl and hope she'll be okay. But yeah, the whole situation is just really upsetting. <laughs> Oh, God, I mean, <laughs> my heart hurts because <laughs> a little kid, my, my brother's autistic. So I'm just like, I know if he sees something messed up, he probably just shut down too. Yeah, because it like it would be hard enough for someone who doesn't have that to overcome to even articulate. Yeah. So when you're dealing with that on top of it, it's like, yeah, what is what is she going to say? She's six years old. You know, I don't know. So it's just been a really bad week um, for children this episode. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this would be so child-heavy. I know, I didn't child. know either. <laughs> if we want, I can do another short one that's a little happier to end on. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay, let me pull it up. Okay. Wait, where did you go? Sorry, my computer has issues. Okay, are you ready? Yes. So in May 1976, Jeanette Williams was fatally shot while sleeping in bed in an apartment in Florida. Um, And the gunman also attempted to murder her girlfriend, Nina Marshall. Williams died instantly, but Marshall was able to flag down a car that drove her to a hospital. After surviving the shooting, Marshall identified Clifford Williams and Hubert Nathan Myers as the murderers, telling police that Williams and Myers emptied their guns from the foot of the bed she shared with Jeanette. Williams and Myers were at a nearby house party at the time of the incident, but despite evidence that showed the shots were all fired outside and from the same gun, contrary to Marshall's testimony, and solid alibis from other partygoers, and their attorneys failed to put any of these witnesses on the stand. There was no physical evidence linking the two men to the crime. Williams and Myers were convicted of murder and attempted murder after just a two-day trial based on Marshall's testimony in which prosecutors claimed that a drug debt was the motive. So, throughout the next 42 years they spent in prison, both Williams and Myers maintained their innocence and they filed several motions for post-conviction relief, all of which failed. Then, in 2017, They petitioned the Conviction Integrity Review Unit, and the Integrity Review Unit found the following. Another man reportedly confessed to people that he committed the murders and, quote, felt bad that Williams and Myers were imprisoned for it. That man died in 1994. He claimed responsibility for... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, he died in 1994. Um, claimed responsibility for the slaying, and Myers answered questions truthfully during a polygraph test taken as part of the review of innocence. So, here's where the good part comes in. Thanks to the review unit's findings, Williams, now 76, and Myers, 61, were wrongfully convicted in the murder of Jeanette Williams and the attempted murder of Nina Marshall. Um, And because uh, Nina Marshall died in 2001, investigators re-examining the case were unable to question her about that night. But uh, according to a report from the state attorney's office outlines or outlining the reasons for vacating the convictions, the physical and scientific evidence actually contradicted Marshall's testimony about what happened. So that report stated that broken glass, along with bullet holes in a curtain and an aluminum screen, showed the shots came from outside the bedroom window instead of inside, as she testified. And um, forensics evidence also showed only one gun was fired, so it couldn't have been both, both men who committed the crime. Uh, Yeah, the plot thickens. 
Judge Angela Cox vacated their convictions and the state dismissed the indictments. Um, and state attorney Melissa Nelson said the culmination of all the evidence, most of which the jury never heard or saw, leaves no abiding confidence in the convictions or the guilt of the defendants. When we have the opportunity to correct errors, we should do so. We have a continuing post-conviction ethical obligation to pursue justice when we become aware of material evidence suggesting a conviction is not correct. Um, so in a report from the state attorney, Myers told the court, I lost almost 70 years or sorry, 43 years of my life that I can never get back. But I'm looking ahead and will focus on enjoying my freedom with my family. Um, and cases like this just make me so upset because police and prosecutors will come up with a certain narrative and then the entire investigation becomes about proving that narrative rather than finding the truth. And it's so unfortunate because the person responsible died in 1994 without any justice ever being served. And then he on top of it, these... Though, Ange, he felt really bad. I know, but he, but he felt bad. So, you know, that makes it all okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, but then on top of it, you have these two innocent men who lost half of their lives. And it like, ugh, it just makes you wonder how many innocent people are sitting in prison for crimes they didn't commit. And just how fucked up that is. Oh, I, I look up the Innocence Project because they're all here doing miracles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love the Innocence Project. But anyways, a happy story to end on because these two men have been released from prison and won't die there but also kind of sad because you're like okay well you just spent you, spent so much time you know 43 years in prison for a crime you didn't commit but i'm so happy that they're out so in lieu of child death this <laughs> it was actually the good happy story so there are small justices out there and we should take them wherever we can find them we have to <laughs> yeah we like we really need to latch on to things like this for our own sanity uh, so again, amazing job. You are a great researcher. Oh, thank you. As are you. And uh, follow us on all the social medias. Bras and Murder on Instagram and Facebook. Give us a like. Uh, Twitter at Murder Bruh. And uh, we're going to be turning some more things out. I got some things cooking. I'm going to... We'll, we'll, we'll talk, Ange. I got some pot things stirring up in that pot to put out there. So I just- we'll talk off the air. Um, also, we have t-shirts available on Teespring. Yes. And they're great. Sell actually goes towards the Innocence Project because I love the Innocence Project. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. So if you want to support us, yeah. Support us. Support the Innocence Project. Buy a t-shirt. Live your best life. Live your best life. <laughs> so I think uh, that's me signing off. And do you have anything? Um, just thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> and we will see you next time. Bye. This podcast is part of the Colored Commentary Network. Colored Commentary Network. Colored Commentary Network. Colored Commentary Network. Where inclusivity matters.